The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Sometimes we forget the fact that the Bible is really clear that we've all been given a ministry. Every Christian has been given a ministry. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you become a minister of Jesus Christ. Actually, in the book of Ephesians, it tells us real clearly that the reason that Jesus gave the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers was not to do the ministry, but to equip the saints to do the ministry. And what he meant by that was we're not supposed to just be being a gospel minister, but we're supposed to be equipping people to be gospel ministers because that's what God's called you to be. He's called you to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And that's why he's placed you where he's placed you at this time in your life, uh, to bear witness of Christ. And one of the wonderful things that can happen to you is that people can approach you. As I mentioned, Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out throughout Israel to preach the gospel of the kingdom, he said, this is what you do. This was the technique. You'll never read this in any evangelistic technique book, but this is what Jesus said. Go into the village, and when somebody invites you into their home, go there, and if there's a, if there's a son of peace there, if that, in other words, if there's somebody there who wants to listen to you talk about the kingdom of God, stay there and bear witness of Christ. And if they don't want to hear, then shake the dust off your feet and move on. And all he meant by that was, uh, get the job done. You are ambassadors for Christ. Share Christ. Don't be afraid to share Christ. We, um, we saw a couple of weeks ago that the instructions that Paul gave to the Corinthians was, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to appeal to people, be reconciled to God. Now, if you were to say that to somebody, everybody say that, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to God. See, you can say it, huh? You can get those words out. Well, guess what? When you say that to somebody in a serious conversation, they're going to have some questions. What in the world do you mean by that? You think I'm alienated from God? Yes, unless you have put faith in Christ. That's why Jesus came into the world, was to bring alienated people back into a relationship with the Creator who sent Him into the world. And so this is what God has called us all to do. And he's called pastors and teachers and evangelists and the apostles and prophets to equip the saints to do this ministry. And so don't forget that. Just remember it, because that's what this text is about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to turn there now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The title of the message is, uh, is it really worth it? What I mean by that is when you read the way Paul describes what it's like to function as an ambassador of Christ and the things he suffered, you're going to say, wow, what's the appeal? But the real question is, is he worth it? Is Christ worth it? Is he worth it for you to experience what Paul is describing here in order to fulfill the calling that God has placed upon your life? A lot of people are waiting for God to call them to something, and they don't have any idea that if they just read their Bible, they would discover you know what? He has called you to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. If you have come to him in faith, if you've come to know Jesus Christ, you have now become an ambassador of Christ. In fact, he's anointed you with the Spirit, we're told. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 says, all of us, all believers have the anointing. 
We have the Holy Spirit who has anointed us, and so we can share Christ. Now, uh, if you're not used to doing that, sometimes it seems very intimidating, and you're just assuming that nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Well, let me tell you, it's not like that at all. There are plenty of people who would love to hear you tell them what it would mean for them to be reconciled to God. Uh, We've been going through some really serious stuff here in this country, haven't we? And certainly there is a lot of alienation. In fact, on the news this morning, as I was watching the news, that's all they talked about was was the chaos in our country right now and how we need reconciliation. Reconciliation is a word that means to bring things back together. It was actually a word that was used in shipbuilding when you took two pieces of wood, you're building a boat, they have to be reconciled, they have to be brought into perfect union. Well, what reconciliation is one of the key words that's used in the New Testament for the death of Jesus Christ. He died to reconcile us to the Father. It was a work of reconciliation. And so now he has sent us out to tell others. Now, the thing is, whether you participate or not, God is going to bring this world to a place where the knowledge of the glory of God is going to cover the entire earth. And guess what? He wants you to be a part of this coming to pass by the way that you live your life and you bear witness for Jesus Christ. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 6. Let me read this chapter to you. If you remember, Paul is talking in the context about this, this whole thing of us being ministers of a new covenant, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And then in, in chapter 6, he begins this way, and working together, and quite literally what he's saying is, and being a co-worker with you is the implication, we also urge you, because we just told you as a worker, as a new covenant a minister, as an ambassador of Christ, you are to urge people to be reconciled to God. And Paul says, now I want to urge you. I want to urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The grace of God in this context is the grace of him giving you the gift of being a minister of Jesus Christ. The word gift and grace are from the same root. One's, the grace is charis and gift is charisma or charisma. And so he's given us this gift, and this gift is this ministry. It's not something to make you fear. It's something to give you great courage and encouragement that you are an official mouthpiece for Jesus Christ if you have Christ living in you. Who can talk about Christ? People in whom Jesus dwells. And when you receive Christ, you received a person who came to live within you. That's the language of the New Testament. And so he says, and as, one, as a co-worker with you, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, that is God says, at the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in affliction, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings. Doesn't sound uh, very enticing, does it? To get involved in something that may get you beat up. In beatings, and Paul got beat up many times. In beatings and imprisonments and tumults, that's just chaos, like riots. 
in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. In other words, you don't have to get a a right to carry permit to carry righteousness in both hands. Isn't that wonderful? Works so much better than anything else. It's the weapon that we have, the weapon of righteousness, because what we are what we are proclaiming is righteousness. He goes on, he says, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as de- as deceivers and yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich through the gospel, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. He's talking to them now as a father, a spiritual father. You are not restrained by us. You are restrained in your own affections. You have a hard time loving us because your heart has turned cold towards us. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what fellowship or what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? That's one of the names for Satan. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And this is what he's getting at. They had, uh, they had a pattern in this church of going to idols temples because if you went to an idols temple, unlike coming to a local church, you got a full meal. That'd be pretty enticing, wouldn't it? A really good meal. And so their friends and neighbors wanted them to go with them to their idol temple and worship their idol by having a meal in his presence. And that's what he's getting at. He says, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now remember, he's speaking to people who he has told, you are ministers, new covenant ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Now you don't wear any clerical garb. You just dress like normal people but you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you are witnesses of Christ. You're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so he's telling them, I want you to live in such a way that you don't demean this ministry that you've been given, this grace, this gift. Working together here is when Paul says back in verse one, he's talking about, he uses the word co-worker. We're co-workers together, you and I because he was a minister of the gospel. And he says, so are you. You are ministers of the gospel. And so he says, as I'm working together with you now, I want to urge you, just as I've told you, you must urge those outside of Christ to be reconciled to God. I urge you not to receive this gift of ministry in vain. 
How would you receive it in vain? Well, the way you would receive it in vain is you would, you would totally ignore it. You wouldn't even, it would have no impact on you. It wouldn't change your life at all. You would do nothing. Now, it is really a common uh, misconception among American Christians that that's what we hire pastors for, to be ministers of the gospel. The rest of us, we're just people that they can minister to. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the role of pastors and teachers and so forth is to equip you in order for you to do fulfill this ministry that God has given to all of us, to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so this is what he's talking about. And in verses 2 through 10, he describes this ministry that you've been given. And first, he, in verse 2, he, he shows us that it's an urgent ministry. This is urgent. He says, for, uh, he says, this ministry that you have been given is something that you need to take very, very seriously. Now, what we're seeing in our country is a manifestation of our fallenness. How easy it is to hate people because they're not like you. How easy it is for us to live like that, to be alienated from one another. But we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Why is he warning them about this, of, of not receiving this ministry, of, of being, receiving it in vain, that is refusing to really take it seriously? Because of what he says about him in chapter 11. Listen to this. In chapter 11, verse 4, Paul says to this church, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, not the true Jesus, but a fake Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Because this is what had happened. They had received these men who come into the church and are total critics of the Apostle Paul and say, he doesn't even know what the gospel is. He's not a true apostle. Well, Paul had preached the gospel to them. Remember, he's the one who brought the gospel to Corinth. He's the one who brought the gospel to these people, which they believed and became born again. They came into the faith. They came to be the children of God. And so he's telling them, why is it that you're receiving these false gospels? And that's the reason they are in danger of receiving the truth in vain and not allowing it to have any impact on their life. They've listened to these false gospelizers who attacked Paul and distorted the gospel, and he's concerned for them. And he wants to call them back to the true Jesus and to the authentic gospel. And he says it's urgent. And he quotes here, this is a quote, you can see it in your Bible. As I read through there, you can see that some of this is set off in a special way, whatever Bible you have. And it's a quote from Isaiah 49, when he says, As the acceptable time, I, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. Now, when is that? Well, in Isaiah, he's talking about when the people repented and turned to God. What about in your life? When was the acceptable time? Well, it was that time in which you opened your ears and your heart to the gospel and you believed on the Lord Jesus. And so he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. In other words, we're living in a time between the first and second coming of Christ, between the resurrection of Christ and his ascension to the Father until his return to the earth. We are living in the acceptable time. What Paul says, I mean, what Peter says in, in Acts chapter 2 is, he describes this period of time, 
the time between Christ's ascension back to the Father and his second coming to earth. And he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the acceptable time. If you're wondering, well, when is it that I should actually start talking to people about Christ? This is the acceptable time. This is the day. This is the time for you to fulfill the ministry that God has given you as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And it's urgent. And he said, Peter had said, it, is, it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Imagine that. If you've never been in the presence of somebody witnessing to someone and they come to faith in Christ, you're missing one of the most glorious experiences in all of life for the believer. When someone comes to actually understand the gospel and rest their faith in Jesus Christ, and you begin to see evidences of Christ living in them. It's glorious. And this is the time for that to happen. We're living in that day when the gospel is to go out. In fact, we are, have been given the right, get this, we have been given the right by God to go to anybody on this globe who's still breathing and preach the gospel to them. I wouldn't go to the cemetery and preach to the graves because they can't hear you. But anybody who is living and breathing, you can preach the gospel to them. And when I say preach, I don't mean stand up and talk loud. I mean you can communicate to them the truth of the gospel. You can, you can tell them something that you know is absolutely authoritative. It's the truth. It's God's truth. Once a person and a congregation have accepted the gospel, it has be, it's become this, this now time. The day of salvation is dawned. Most of us know when we came to Christ. Maybe you don't know the exact day, but you know the season in your life. You remember some events. Maybe, maybe what happened was you grew up in a Christian home, and then at some point you began to realize, I really do believe this. I really do have faith in Jesus Christ. God really is my Father, and Jesus really is my Savior. That's the time in which you became aware of the fact that the day, the acceptable time had come and God saved you through faith in his Son. You have a similar appeal in Hebrews 3.13 when the writer of Hebrews says, Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. One of the great temptations that we can face is if we have somebody in our life that we really love and care about and they don't know Christ and we want them to come to faith in Christ, but we've been rebuffed over and over and over again. And we come to the place where we just think there's no use. They've heard it all. I've told them a thousand times. And you know what happens often? That person comes around and they tell you about how they got saved because somebody on their job just witnessed to them. And you think, how could God do that to me? Why didn't I get the privilege of leading them to Christ? Most of you know John Piper. He's a pastor in Minneapolis. And one of his boys, who would refuse to believe the gospel, grew up, and in high school, he, he left home. And he went and he lived in a little apartment. He rented a room from this lady. Wanted nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with Christ. He wanted, he wanted to be away from it. And so he began living in this little apartment house. What he didn't know was the landlord, the lady that owned the place, was a Christian. And for a year, every conversation they had, she would share with him the glory of Christ and the cross of Christ. And he comes to faith. 
I would have loved to have been there when he came home and told his dad, John Piper, guess what? Somebody just led me to Christ. I came to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he rejoiced. You would rejoice too, wouldn't you? If they came home and said, yeah, I couldn't understand it when you told me, but this guy down the street, when he told me, it made perfect sense. Why is that? Because of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit opens the eyes. The Father causes light to shine into the heart. And we believe. So in God's purposes, we are not at all times equally receptive to the truth. And every time God comes to us, whether we're already a Christian or, or whether we haven't become a Christian yet, the issue is when God comes to us through his word is accept reconciliation with God now. A lot of times believers spend periods of time in their life living at a distance from God, not wanting to hear about him, talk about him, or be bugged by him. And then they come to their senses, and God says, be reconciled to me. I want to tell you there's one person you don't want to be alienated from, believer, and that's your heavenly father. Because he's the one who gives you life. So this is an urgent ministry. There are people all around you. I didn't have Ryan tell this story, but he has, I'm not going to tell it either, but he has a story about a a woman on the job who wanted nothing to do with Christianity, and yet God brought some things. Every time he tried to talk to her, she rebuffed him. But then God brought something into her life that changed her whole attitude about Christianity and the gospel. You know, that can happen because God is the one who's sovereign in this work. But the second thing he says in verses 3 and the first part of verse 4 is that it's an honorable ministry, this ministry of reconciliation. In fact, if you notice verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything. In other words, because I am a minister of the gospel, I'm not talking about being a pastor, I'm talking about being a Christian, a disciple of Jesus. Because I am a minister of the gospel, just like you, he's telling me, live in such a way that you're giving no offense, no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. I need to live in such a way that it's not shocking if I start talking to somebody about the living God. There ought to be some consistency in our lives, shouldn't there? And attitudes. And that's what Paul's getting at. This is a new covenant ministry. And it's by those who are reconciled by faith. And he says that he's given us a double gift. He's given us reconciliation, and then he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who better to tell you about being reconciled to God than someone who has been reconciled to God? Uh, over the years, I've done this. If, if, if somebody, I think, is actually wanting to listen to the gospel, there's something going on there. Often, I will refer them to somebody who has recently come to faith in Christ. Because what they're going to hear is somebody who freshly remembers what a drastic change took place in their life when they believed on the Lord Jesus. He completely turned them around. Now, they didn't become super saints. <laughs> they just became believers who followed Jesus Christ and knew that the gospel was true. Then in, in, in the last part of verse 4 down through verse 10, he says, this is a sacrificial ministry. It's going to, this ministry is going to cost you. To fulfill this ministry is going to get you in situations where you're wondering, 
man, I wish I hadn't even said anything. Listen to this, the last part of verse 4. He says, in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses. He's just describing what went on in his life. Now, later on in the book, I don't even need to read this whole thing, but later on in the book, he's going to give us specific incidences where he was rebuffed and attacked. He was beaten. He was mistreated over and over again in all kinds of ways. Why? You see, New Covenant ministry it can be costly. And so he's saying you have to be willing to be sacrificial. How will you ever get there? You'll get there one way, by your heart being controlled by the love of Christ. It's an honorable ministry, and then it is a sacrificial ministry. And the only reason you would ever want to sacrifice like this, to put yourself on the line, to be hated, abused, uh, mistreated. I'm really tempted to ask how many of you have ever experienced anything like that on any in a slight level by being a Christian and, and confessing Christ and fulfilling your ministry as a, an ambassador of Christ. I know some of you have. And, I, and a better question than is it worth it is, is Christ worth it? Can being controlled by the love of Christ produce this kind of lifestyle? The answer is yes. I put these verses up here. I'm not going to go look at all these, but I wanted you to see these verses, maybe jotted down, and I'll post this on, on the website on the sermon, under the sermon notes. But what you have in these four passages, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, where Paul says, we have this treasure in clay pots. And he's talking about Gideon and, and the way that the light was seen was when the pots were cracked. In other words, when they were busted. Guess what? In your life, when you are, are broken, uh, God, people are going to see the light of the gospel. But Paul says the reason we do this is because we are controlled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. But then in, in uh, Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says when you go through trials, one of the things that you experience is the Spirit working in your life in such a way that He fills your heart with hope. Hope. Really? Man, when you listen to all the, the things that people are saying now about the stuff they've gone through in this, all this stuff that's on the news and people who have been misused and abused in horrible ways and how angry they are and bitter they are. And yet for the Christian, when you go through suffering, Paul says that God produces something in your heart. He produces endurance. That is the ability to be faithful to him under pressure. And then he produces proven character. And then out of proven character, he produces hope. What's hope? What is hope? Hope is an earnest expectation that God's going to fulfill what he promised. Biblical hope isn't wishing something were true. Don't you wish, I mean, how would you, how would you fulfill that sentence, finish that sentence? I wish blank. You know, I wish I could lose 30 pounds. I wish I was 30 years younger. I wish this. I wish I had a new car. I wish I had a new motorcycle. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. That's not biblical hope. Because biblical hope is you believing the promises of God about the future. But then get this, in verse 5 of Romans 5, he says, and this hope does not disappoint you or shame you down because, in other words, you put hope in God's promises, you'll never be shamed by it. Why? 
because the love of God has been gushed forth in your heart through the Holy Spirit. What does he mean by that? He means that, yes, there are trials in the Christian life. There are difficulties in you fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation. But what God does, he fills your heart with an awareness of his love for you. And it's the only thing that can motivate a Christian to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in the knit and grit of life. And, and then in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, Paul says, as he's praying for these Thessalonians, he says, may the Holy Spirit lead you into the love of God and the, and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. In other words, what God wants to do in your life is to keep you on an even keel where throughout life you are motivated by Christ's love for you. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to that through the gospel. And then finally, in, in Jude chapter 20 and 21, it says to us as a congregation, this is what it says, you should keep yourselves in the love of God. How? How can we as a congregation keep ourselves in the love of God? And this is what Jude says, by building one another up in the most holy faith. That means by talking to one another about the gospel of Jesus Christ and its practical effects in your life. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying together in the Holy Spirit. Praying together is a characteristic of Christians around the world. This is one of the ways that you can tell Christians from non-Christians. Christians pray together. If you never pray together with anybody, you're missing a big part of the normal Christian life. Praying together in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, waiting with joyful anticipation of the coming of Christ. You know, what's going to happen next in our life in this country? This is 2016. What's going to happen next? You know, if you read certain literature, or listen to certain guys on the radio, well, for one thing, Medicare is going to, going to go broke. And all of those of you who are on Medicare, you're not going to be able to get health care. I don't believe that's true, but that's exactly what's going on in all the conversations. The economy is going to fail. Things are going to get bad. Uh, you're going to go through incredible hardship. That's not building one another up. That's not encouraging one another to be joyful in your anticipation of the coming of Christ. Christ is coming. And he is not in any way affected by all of these rumors and realities of a world that's going down the tubes. This world's not going down the tubes. Guess what? There's not going to be an end of the world. The Bible doesn't teach an end of the world. It, te it teaches a renewal of the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to renew and restore. He has redeemed it. And so he wants us to live in anticipation of his coming. Are you, are you, do you have a joyful anticipation of the coming of Christ? Does that fill your heart with hope when you read in the scripture that he's coming back? When you sing, uh, oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace, does that fill your heart with joy? You say, I don't know that song. Well, learn it. <laughs> learn some songs about heaven. Uh, when I was in college, I had to take a sociology class, and the professor had written his uh, master's thesis on the relationship between the economic status of a church and, and the songs they sang about heaven. In other words, did poor churches sing about heaven more than rich churches? Guess what? What would you think? Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. We need to be reminded that Christ is coming back. And guess who's supposed to remind us? One another. We're supposed to remind, be reminding each other. Now remember, you're, you are ministers of the gospel. You are new covenant ministers. You're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. So you're supposed to use your mouth to spread the good news, even to fellow believers about the coming of Christ. And you say, how are we going to do that? Because some of us are pre-mill, some are all-mill, some are post-trib, some are mid-trib, and all that stuff. Guess what? Every, every single one of those theories about how things are going to wind up all believe one thing is true. Jesus is coming back. And that's what we can encourage each other with. He's coming back. He's coming back. And we can live in joy as we anticipate it. Well, if we were to summarize New Covenant ministry, no better place than Philippians chapter 2. This is what the same writer said about our attitude. What kind of attitude should Christians have? Um, let me remind you of something. The church is not a building. It's not an event. It's not a meeting. The church is people. We don't, it's, it's true we use the expression, let's go to church, but that's just a language of appearance. We are the church. The only place Jesus told us to go was where? He didn't say go to church. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore go to church. That's not what he said, is it? He said, go, and as you are going, make disciples. So he would say, go to work tomorrow. Unless you're off, you have a day off or you're retired. Your wife, if you're retired, your wife would probably say, I wish he would say that to him. Go to work. Get out of my hair. But he's, he doesn't, we, we, aren't just, we don't just go to meetings. We're supposed to be agents of the saturation of this world with the truth and glory of Jesus Christ. And you can't, you know, you can, a church building can't do that. An event, a Christian event can't do that. It's only as we live our lives where we're at, where God has placed us, and we actually function as new covenant ministers. And so this is the attitude you're supposed to have. This is Philippians 2. And Paul says, therefore, if there is any encouragement, quite literally, since there is great encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. What he means by that is all of you think the same. Not the same about Republicans, Democrats, not the same about Fords and Chevys. Have the same mind, same attitude as this. And this is what it is. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What's that purpose? He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Or look at the person next to you. You really think they're more important than yourself? That's how you're supposed to treat them. Shame on you, Gary. <laughs> you're supposed to treat them because they, they're supposed to, you're supposed to treat them as being more important than yourself. In other words, we are to have an attitude towards one another in New Covenant ministry where we are humbled by the fact that we're here because of Christ. We don't have a pecking order. It's not like some of you are really good Christians, some of you are mediocre Christians, some of you are lousy Christians. We have a Savior. And it's because we believe on this Savior that we are part of the body of Christ. 
And so he goes on to say that we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another just as Christ did. Sacrifice is at the heart of the gospel. It's right at the heart of the gospel. He's called us to live a sacrificial lifestyle. Self-sacrificing. Back up in back in chapter four, verse twelve, Paul said, uh, "Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you." What did he mean by that? He meant we minister to you, and it's costly to us. We've taken abuse, we've been battered and beaten in all kinds of ways, but you live through it. In other words, because we were willing to share the gospel with you at great cost. And if you remember, you read the life of Paul in the book of Acts, he was thrown in jail in just about every city he went to for preaching the gospel. But he didn't stop. In fact, he just figured if they threw him in jail, this is his new parish. (laughs) This is where he preached the gospel to the prisoners. We had a a preacher, a pastor in town in Oakley, actually, and I went and visited him one day and and he was telling me about their prison ministry. And he said, I've told my church, this is where our future deacons or elders are going to come from, was these guys were visiting in prison. I thought, well, that's weird. You're going to prison to look for a deacon and elder. But what he meant by it was, we take the gospel to jail, and we preach the gospel to them, and then some of them come to faith in Christ, and when they come out, they become members of our church, and they're going to be the future elders and deacons. See, that's, that's a... That's like a radical faith that Jesus can actually transform people. He can transform you. All of us know we got things in our life that are so pathetic. If we could just cut it out, if we could just take a knife and cut it out of our lives, we would. And sometimes we lose faith that God is able to transform. He, is, he can perform radical transformation so that we can be effective in this calling that he's given us. Now, beginning in verse 11, he's, he's appealing to them as a father, and he's talking about how they're constrained in their affections towards him. They're not loving him. They're believing the lies about him, and they're turned against him. And so he says, I'm not constrained towards you, but you're constrained towards me. Now, the fact is, they had turned on Paul under the influence of these false teachers. Now he calls them to be reconciled to him. And notice this. As he addresses them as father, there's two things that he wants to happen. He says he's talking to them like they're his children. And he says, now get this, I think this is exactly like fathers think about their own children. Two things you want. You want them to stay, you want them to be reconciled to you. You know that period of time when kids are very prone to start despising their parents? What is it, I think three to four or something like that? (laughs) Whatever that is. And so a father wants his, his son to be reconciled to him. He wants his father to love him the way he loves his son. And so Paul says, as a father, I want you to be reconciled to me. I don't want you to believe these lies about me. I want you to be reconciled to me. And then the other thing is, I want you to, I want you, he appeals for their separation. That is separation from idolatry. And that's like us. We want our children to be reconciled to us, and we don't want them to be influenced by those who are trying to draw them away from us. It's amazing. I've, I've overheard kids talk to other kids about their parents. I'm talking about somebody complaining to somebody about their parents. And these kids listening to it. And so Paul says, I don't want you to, to be influenced by those who want to draw you away 
from the truth of the gospel. And so he appeals to them for their separation. Now, this is a, a section of Scripture that we often quote out of context. In the context, you can see what's happening. Paul says, I want you to be effective in this work of being a minister of the new covenant. So I don't want you to be drawn away by these idolaters. Now, in, in Corinth, they actually, in fact, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. There were some of the men who would go to the, to the idol temple on a regular basis. It was the place where prostitutes, service men, it was a part of their worship. And he appeals to them. This is unfit. You can't be joined to Christ and joined to a prostitute. And so what he's talking about here is them not being drawn into this idol worship. Well, we live in a world where idolatry comes in all kinds of forms. And basically what the world system does, according to 1 John 2, is it presents you with all of these options for loving God and being controlled by the love of God. So many things to love, so little time, and so many things to worship. One more thing. If you, have an, if you get email, you know what it's like every day, every morning you wake up to have 30 or 40 emails that are simply trying to market something to you. And they market it to you by telling you how this is going to change your life. It's going to fulfill your deepest desires. But there's only one there's only one relationship, only one person in all of existence that's going to fill your heart, and that's the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he appeals to them. And listen to this appeal again. He says in verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now he's not, this isn't about stay away from non-Christians or stay away from those Christians over there who believe something different than us. That's not what he's getting at. He's getting to idolatry. He is talking about getting sucked into this lifestyle where you go to the idol's temple and you enjoy all the benefits of it and think nothing of it. As though you can, you can have a relationship with the idol and a relationship with the true and living God at the same time. And so he appeals to them. He says in verse 16, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. What does he mean by that? He means that all of us here including all believers around the world. We are the temple of God. The word temple that's used here in several other contexts when it talks about the church being the temple of God and individual Christians being the temple of God, the word for temple that he uses is a word for holy place. You know what the holy place was in the temple? That was where God's manifest presence was. Remember that? The holy of holies? The priests went in there one time a year and according to tradition, they would actually tie a rope around their ankles so that if they were killed in the presence of God, they could drag them out. The holy of holies. And he says, that's what you are. That's what the church of God is. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will sh shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, down in verse 1 of chapter 7, reveals the importance of this issue. God lives in the temple or the congregation, the people of God. This is what he says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Why is holiness important? Because you're ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
you are ambassadors for Christ as believers. And so you want to live a life that's separate from that which defiles and would keep you from being fruitful in this ministry that God has given to you as a gift. And so he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. God's called you to a very holy calling. I just want to tell you, I'm serious about this. You, all of you, every believer sitting in this room, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Not only should your, not only should your actions, you're actually sharing Christ. You're actually, you're actually communicating to people, be reconciled to God. doesn't mean you have to use that exact phrase, but you need to speak to people about Christ. If you're not good at it, you want to practice? Let me tell you how you can practice. Talk to Christians here today and talk to them about the gospel. Get into a conversation so that when out there this week and you're talking to somebody and you know that the Lord wants you to witness to this person, instead of shrinking back, you'll actually, in the power of the Spirit, bear witness of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And that's what you've been called to be. And that's why he wants you to perfect holiness in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, it's stunning to think that you care this much about us, that you would give us this gift of ministry, the new covenant ministry, the ministry of the gospel, to live it and to communicate it. I pray, Father, that you'd fill our hearts with faith and confidence in you, that even though at times we wonder if you even know what you're doing, that you would call us to do this. And yet, God, you are almighty, and you can use people like us. We're the fellowship of the cracked pots. We are people who just don't seem to have what it takes to be witnesses for you, and yet you have promised to use us in this very way. And so we pray that you'd fill our hearts with faith and anticipation of being used by you in a way that's going to have eternal effects. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.